Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And this week in our ESU Impact Series, we're going to be focusing in on the staff development affiliate portion of our ESU network. Uh, and I'm really grateful to Kellen Conroy, who's a teaching and learning specialist at ESU One and also the chair of the staff development affiliate, uh, to get a little bit of insight on what is this group, who do they serve, what are some of the roles that they take on. I mean, if we're being honest from the top, this is a group that really it's needs as assigned, right? Yep, everything. We are we're responsible to help schools and provide services when and wherever they might need some extra help and support. Awesome. So, Kellen, welcome to the podcast. And uh, yeah, if you want to start us off, we tell us a little more about your history and education. Yeah, thank you very much. Really appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with, with you today and to really highlight our SDA, our staff development affiliate. It's a it's a fantastic group. And I always refer to it as a family because that's really what it is. There's so many great people in our ESUs and especially in it, within our affiliates and the staff development is one of those great affiliates. So I really appreciate the opportunity to, to highlight our, our fantastic group. So just a little bit of background from me. Um, I started my educational career as an elementary teacher I started out in Auburn, Nebraska and taught fifth grade and did some coaching there as well. And in the early summer of 2013, and joined the uh, teaching and learning team here at ESU One. Uh, and, and again, really happy to be a part of the ESU One family and proud of all the work that our schools are doing, uh, not only within ESU One, but the, across the state as well. So I'm really happy to provide services to our schools and happy to help out any way I can throughout the state of Nebraska. You know, I'm going to actually key in on something there because I, I'm myself about 18 months into this role. And in that short time, have just found the ESUs to almost be a little bit like like the metaphorical onion, right? Where you sort of think you know what it is until you start peeling back some of the layers. So maybe if, if you could take us back to 2013 when you were leaving that classroom setting and stepping into your current role, just at ESU One, right? We can talk about your role as the chair of SDA here in a moment. Well, I don't know, what were some of those initial reflections, if you can think back to that, that you were maybe found curious in the same way I did? I don't mean to like lead you with these questions. Here, uh -huh. There yep. is a lot to it. I would 100% agree. There's a there's a lot. I don't think I could say it any better. There is a lot to it. And, you know, leaving the classroom was a tough decision because there's there's things that you really, really miss about the classroom. You miss those connections with students and student athletes and you miss connections, uh, you know, with, with your colleagues. But yet uh, at the ESU, we have those connections as well. And we have that family atmosphere and strong cultures and a lot of things going on. So when I first started at the ESU, I was so thankful for the team here at ESU One with uh, Amy, Rhonda, and Chris. They really went out of their way to make sure that I felt welcomed, that I had all the tools I needed to jump in and, and help their team out as much as needed, especially as a newcomer. So very appreciative of all their support and very appreciative of their continued support. We really work well as a team and I am so thankful for that because I think that helped in the transition from the classroom to the ESU. 
And at first a few days or weeks and months at the ESU, it was just trying to get my feet on the ground saying, okay, how can I help? And, and what are some of my responsibilities? And really, how can I start to build relationships with schools? Because I think that's where it all starts. It all starts with relationships and getting to know those that you're going to serve and allowing them to get to know you on how you can best provide service, best provide that support that they need, uh, whether it's curriculum, instruction, assessment, school improvement, whatever you might be asked to help with. How, how can you really build that working relationship and start it off on a positive note? So that was another thing. And then also starting to build relationships with those within our staff development affiliate and then across the state to really get those connections. Because one of the things that I always talk to teachers about is, you know, I might not know the, the answer to your question, but I bet I know somebody that does. And relying on those relationships and connections is really an important piece. And that's something I, I learned day one and I carry with me through now. This is what starting my ninth year here at the ESU and something I'll carry with me if I'm lucky enough to, to be here for 30 years. So, so that's one of the things that I reflect on is, having the support to build relationships in order to go out and provide services and supports to schools. You know, I love that because I was speaking with someone recently who had just delivered some professional development to the SDA members. And she commented to me that it is a little intimidating to present to that particular room because there are so much knowledge dispersed amongst all of those professionals in there, uh, not only from, as you mentioned, kind of boots on the ground lessons learned from working directly with a number of schools and teachers and administrators in their respective regions, uh, but then also kind of that collective, right? When we get to come together and everyone gets to learn from a, a national presenter or, or from each other, I have found in this role, it is just remarkable the level of education expertise that we not only have statewide in Nebraska, but that the SDA community, this family, uh, really readily shares and helps each other grow in and how it, everyone's just better together because of that, right? And I'm sort of playing off of your lunch session there, but uh, <laughs> there's a lot of truth to that. I would absolutely agree. And I would absolutely agree with that person too, as someone that stands up in front of our affiliate is, you know, having the honor and privilege to serve as the chair this year and to help lead our leadership team, which are the strategists and help to lead our, our SDA this year. And, and I always say it's always a team effort because it is. And that's one of the things that we really believe in an SDA is really about how collaboration really allows us to build on our members expertise so that we can build capacity to go out and serve back at our ESUs and, and back at our schools. And the one thing I would add to that, Andrew, what you're just saying about the, the person who is presenting to SDA is, yes, there's a great deal of uh, knowledge, expertise, experience, but, but also there's a great deal of respect within SDA for, for one another, for presenters, for, for the things that we do, for the things that everybody brings to the table because different people bring different tools and strengths. And I have such a tremendous amount of respect for all educators, whether it's in the school system, teacher, student, paraprofessional, what, however you're connected to the, to the school system uh, throughout our ESUs, a tremendous amount of respect for, for all those that are involved in, in education. And that speaks true for the staff development affiliate too. I mean, so I would say yes, and a, a lot of respect for everybody in that room. So 
love that. And I love that the word need just continues to come up <laughs> as needed or needs as assigned is really that, that role that we even mentioned from the top. And so I want to get back to that here very briefly and understanding that we'll never be able to probably list all the things that the staff development affiliate does statewide. Can you help somebody who doesn't know about this role at all, what that kind of looks like? What does it mean to support a school staff? Yep, great question. And as we think about the staff development affiliate, it's really, it's, it's composed of members throughout all of Nebraska's 17 ESUs. And really the members that are in the staff development affiliate are really responsible for supporting schools within their service areas and in areas such as, but not limited to, we'll go back to that as needed, you go. as needed when needed. So I will say such as, but not limited to, like maybe there's a curriculum initiatives in the school. Maybe they're taking a look at scope and sequencing of, of standards. Let's say Nebraska has just rolled out new ELA standards. Math standards are being current revised so schools may need help with you know taking a look at those standards examining those standards and planning for the implementation of those so that might be one one piece in the curriculum arena that we might support it might be helping with uh, reviewing instructional materials how do we help schools navigate those conversations to review select and then implement new instructional materials in different content areas it might be helping districts focusing on assessment practices you know both formative and summative uh, so those districts can then get the data that they need to help make instructional decisions to help keep teaching and learning moving forward or help support their continuous improvement process which is another thing that members of the staff development affiliate um, how they serve their schools back in their their service units helping with continuous improvement processes and and helping districts navigate those conversations or helping in the planning of initiatives that are related to their continuous improvement practices. There's, there's a lot of supports that we can provide to schools and that we do provide to schools, but the staff development affiliate, that's one group. And, and we have other affiliates too that I'm, I'm very proud of and, and have a lot of respect for, for our other affiliates and colleagues and partners too across the state that help schools. But, you know, narrowing it down to a few, you know, support for curriculum instruction, assessment, continuous improvement, you know, it's almost whenever and wherever you need that support. So if a district calls and we do some long range planning and say, this district's gonna need this, all right, let's get it on the calendar. Let's talk about who, what, when, where, why, what are some of those outcomes? What are your goals? What do you wanna see happen because of this support? And then how do we stay connected after that initial support has been provided to help with that implementation. So that's really uh, a few of the responsibilities and things, uh, and it, it'll look different within each ESU, of course, but overall, those are some of those things that the staff development affiliate uh, would be responsible for back in their service units. Throughout that response too, that you get the sense that some of these services are requested by a school, by a district, by you know a set group of teachers maybe within your region. And that some of this work also then is driven by things like you mentioned, the, the new math standards and different things as they're rolled out. And so I think it would be important to take a brief moment to sort of delineate out the difference between the Nebraska Department of Education and staff development affiliate as one example, as you mentioned, because there's, there's a number of affiliate groups within the ESU network. Uh, but what is the difference between those two? So one of the things that I think about when I think about the Nebraska Department of Education and um, I also think about ESUs within Nebraska as well is really the goal is to support education in Nebraska. 
that's that's really the overarching goal. Both entities, whether it's the Nebraska Department of Education or educational service units, really want to make sure that education in Nebraska is supported and the highest quality education is provided and supported. When we break that down a little bit and start to start to unpack maybe some of the responsibilities or some of the, the purposes of, of each entity, whether it's NDE or ESUs, with the Nebraska Department of Education, I see that as the procedures and the regulations and the rules and, and kind of like that regulatory piece where these are the rules on how schools need to operate to have a school to make sure that we are providing in Nebraska the highest quality education is, is possible. Uh, we also have different areas, whether it's teaching and learning, whether it's special education, whether it's special programs, anything like that. So there's different areas as well. And, and how are they providing guidance to schools? So I kind of see the Nebraska Department of Education as as an educational partner for the whole scope of education in Nebraska and really taking a look at those rules, procedures, regulations, whereas on the ESU side, I like to kid around with this, but I'm really not kidding when I say services are middle name. So as regulations are, are updated or rules are updated or standards are approved by the State Board of Education, like, for example, ELA standards that were just approved by the, the State Board of Education. That's where our service comes in and, and maybe helping schools navigate those conversations. To, okay, how might we implement these standards? How might we implement this rule? Um, our continuous improvement process is here. How can service units help us continue that continuous improvement process. Maybe it's an update on a rule or regulation or a procedure within that process. And so we're really that service agency piece where we come in to provide that support directly to schools. But we got to have some of that guidance too. And we need to know that these are the standards or this is the rule so we can help schools interpret that and really plan for implementing, whether it's implementing services, implementing plans, implementing standards, so on and so forth within within their district. You know, in that you can certainly see that purpose uh, for SDA and the mission that you all are committed to. And, you know, I use that word specifically because before we started recording today, we were talking about how as recently as this past summer, SDA committed to some specific language for their mission. Yeah, we every so often review our bylaws as a staff development affiliate. And last year was the year for our bylaw revision. And so with that, it was also an excellent opportunity to take a look at our mission and vision. And that's some of the same things that we ask schools in the continuous improvement process too. It might be, you know, this might be a good time to look at your mission and vision. So we were doing the same thing as we were up updating our bylaws, making sure that everything spoke to what we we needed, what we believed, what we felt our purpose was, our mission and our vision. We looked at all those and it took a tremendous amount of effort. It took a tremendous amount of collaboration and time. And I'm so very appreciative of our staff development affiliate for working together as a whole group, a large group to have these conversations, but then also the smaller groups within our staff development affiliate that stepped up and took leadership roles into really guiding those conversations about our mission, our vision, and our purpose, and our beliefs. And if you really think about that with our staff development affiliate, really the purpose for our group is to really empower educators to maximize the potential of every learner. And through that empowering educators, it might be to where that ties into our vision of building capacity of our members through relevant and timely learning opportunities. 
So basically we have the training and the skills and the tools that we need to turn around and go support our schools to then maximize the potential of every learner. And if it's me, for example, if I'm working with a, with a group of teachers, I consider teachers, they're adult learners. And how can they take that information that I'm providing and take it back to their kids? So although I might not have a direct impact on the students, I can have a direct and positive impact on those responsible for, for students. So I take a lot of pride in that, knowing that I may not be in the classroom, but I'm there providing support to those that are in the classroom. And to really do whatever I can to help so that they can turn around and help their students. And as we think about that, too, with our purpose and our vision, you know, our belief statements are there. And I'm very proud of these. And it's when we talk about our beliefs, it's like, yeah, this is who we are. We believe in, you know, growth and continuous improvement. How can we get a little bit better each day? How can we grow in our skills so that we can provide those supports and services to schools? Yeah. Communication. How do we communicate not only with ourselves within our uh, affiliate, but with our schools, with other ESUs that we're collaborating with, which is our next belief statement is collaboration. You know, we can really collaborate and capitalize on our members' expertise. I know there's a lot of great people in, in SDA, and, and I do not hesitate one minute to ask a question if there's something I need help with. And the reason I don't hesitate is because I know somebody's going to respond right away with, with a question or an idea or a connection. To, to help with that, which collaboration then leads to partnerships, whether it's partnerships within ESUs or it's partnerships with external stakeholders or educational partners that'll help us build the tools and skills that we need to go then provide support to schools. And then, you know, really reflecting and evaluating our practices so that we can be sure that that leads to our increased uh, equity and effectiveness throughout the state and throughout our ESUs. So, Again, I know I've said this a couple of times, but I am so very proud of the work that the staff development affiliate does every day to provide support, not only to one another, but to provide support to area schools. Gosh, I love everything about that response. You know, you talk a little bit, just, uh, I would just call it maybe that ripple effect that sometimes as you move out of the classroom and into different roles, you're able to amplify the impact that you can potentially have by Doing what you just said, you, you learn, collaborate, grow together. And then uh, as you share that out, then ideally, right, then there's sort of that trickle effect that eventually leads to a collective impact directly to that student who's benefiting from the lessons that their teachers have learned uh, as a result of things that systemically we've had an opportunity to learn and share uh, that started at that ESU level. So Gosh, 15 minutes goes quick. Yeah, <laughs> so, I would agree. Oh, uh, I, I do want to give a little preview for those listening in that uh, in the next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about the SIMPLE process, uh, which is an acronym there, SIMPLE, uh, S-I-M-P-L, uh, as that is a process by which our ESU network is working towards better identifying and also quantifying the services that we provide schools. And so we'll hear a little bit more about that in addition to some more boots on the ground examples in part three of some of the work that SDA does uh, on a regular basis. But uh, from the top here, Kellen, thank you so much for starting us off uh, with this uh, 30,000 foot view of what it means to be a part of this affiliate and the great work that's going on within it. Yeah, thank you. I really, really appreciate the opportunity to share about the, the staff development affiliate.
All right, we're back for part two of today's podcast, and we just got a chance to listen to Kellen Conroy from ESU One talk a little bit about SDA as an affiliate, uh, and now grateful to Marcy Osmeyer of ESU Seven, who's joining us to talk a little bit about that support process and what it looks like and what goes into the intentional design of the services that the ESUs provide to the districts that they serve. And so, Marcy, thank you for joining us for the pod today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's always fun to come and talk about ESUs. Yeah, well, and it's always fun to talk with you about the work that we get to do here for Nebraska education just broadly and, and the ESUs being a you know critical part of all that. And uh, I loved, as I entered this role, learning about the simple process, uh, which is something we're going to dedicate this middle segment to. And if you want to hear this in detail, there was a previous pod around the time that this show began with Marcy and also the administrator there at ESU 7, Larry and Polk, uh, going into this in further detail. Uh, but for the sake of today's conversation, Marcy, for those that aren't familiar with SIMPLE, which is an acronym, uh, can you talk a little bit about how that process helps our staff developers statewide better serve our schools? Absolutely. So, you know, it is the ultimate goal of all of us who serve teachers to be able to provide services that are relevant to them, that help fill the gaps that they have identified that they, you know, need filled. And SIMPLE is an acronym, as you mentioned, it's a service implementation model process and log. And it all begins with that S of SIMPLE is determining what services can your ESU provide that will help fill the gaps of our member schools. And so for us, that starts early on to, to start to look at putting together a service plan. And we get a lot of input from a number of our stakeholders and then we ultimately customize that plan and then we put that plan into action. It takes about 18 months for us to put a, a service plan in place. So for example, we are in the middle of putting together our service plan for 2022-2023. And it started last summer when we met with our superintendent executive committee and talked about the types of data that they would want for us to have to look at to say, you know, what are some some gaps that you can identify that ESU 7 can help fill. Well, okay. So if I'm hearing you right, there, this, this begins with a number of superintendents from the ESU 7 region, specifically collaborating together on identifying their individual, but kind of shared needs, right? Can you speak to what it looks like when that process gets kicked off? Yeah, absolutely. So as I said, we start in the summer. So in summer of 21, we identified the data sources that we would be looking at in the fall. And then we start off with our superintendents and our principals separately. And we ask them questions um, that have to do with perceptual data. In your gut, what are the challenges that you have that ESU 7 could possibly have a service to help fill that gap? So I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, maybe like six years ago or so, our principals and our superintendents were saying to us, you know, we're spending a lot of money on instructional models. We're sending teachers to Marzano training. We're sending teachers to Danielson training, but we're just not seeing it in the classroom. It seems as though we have these binders and these books and they take the book off the shelf and they take it to this training and then it comes back and it's going back on the shelf. And we're just not seeing it implemented in the classroom. What service could ESU 7 offer that could help fill the gap of us seeing our instructional models in the classroom. And that's where our coaching service came from, was from some principals and some superintendents writing down a sticky note. We use sticky note process of saying a challenge I have is I'm not seeing implementation of training in classrooms. 
what can ESU 7 offer that can help? And it just grows from there. So we start with superintendents and principals separately, usually September, October on that perceptual data. We then reach out to our land managers and to our teachers, and we ask them the same questions. What are challenges that you have and what services could ESU 7 offer that could help fill those gaps? We take all of that perceptual information along with data, uh, harder data like um, student achievement data, and we bring that all together in December. Our superintendents and our principals meet in a joint meeting in December. We dig all through all the data again, asking the, the ultimate question again, what does your data show are your gaps? What services can ESU 7 offer that can help fill those gaps? And then we ask them to do some voting. We take all of our services and we uh, type them on a 11 by 17 piece of paper and we place them all around the room in our conference room. But the next part to that is it's possible that in those September, October meetings or in the December meeting, they say there's a different service we need like coaching. And so we give them blank 11 by 17 pieces of paper and they write it on there. They stick it on the wall. They do a little commercial for their colleagues to say, here is this service that we believe not only would benefit us, but would benefit regionally. We're a regional service agency. We're creating a regional service plan. And then we give them dots, those little garage sale sticker dots, ask them to do some weighting of which of the services would provide the biggest impact for them. And that's how we develop our service plan. And I love that because it is responsive to, like you said, the needs of those districts. And it also then, I would assume, gives you enough time to build the capacity within the staff developers within your ESU to be able to then step into those needs at that subsequent school year, right? Like, the, is that kind of how that process works? Yes, you, you nailed it because that's what we need is we need time to be able to do that. So it's important for us to have this process done in December. And then our ESU 7 board approves that service plan for the following year in February. But if there is a new service, for example, like uh, coaching, classroom coaching, you know, when that service was uh, created, we didn't have coaches. We didn't have a coaching model. We didn't have any plan whatsoever. So we needed some time to hire people, to train people, to determine what model we were going to use. So the timing of that is all essential because it impacted our budget. And so we had to make some budget changes to accommodate for that as well. And so we take that whole service plan and then we meet individually with each one of our districts end of February, 1st of March. And we say, okay, so here's our ESU 7 service plan. How can we customize it for you? What are the specific things that you need in this service plan? So for example, we have one of our districts that has an instructional coach on their own. And they're like, well, we don't need your coaches to come in and coach in our district, but we would love if your coaches would collaborate with our coach and provide that type of support in that way. So it's really a cool process to be able to, to customize it, to say, you know, to what intensity do you need these services? And of course we have a super secretary, Cindy, who reaches out to our districts before annual consultations, gets their calendars for the following year. And so when we find something that they want some additional support on, we say, well, we happen to have your calendar right here. And we put down dates on our calendar for the following year. So by the end of our annual consultations, which will end about the second week in March, we will have our calendars pretty much filled for in-services for the 22-23 school year. 
So like last March, I put a date on my calendar for May of 2022 because they wanted to kick something off on a date that they had at the end of the year. So it's, it's really awesome to be able to do that much planning on our end, as well as for our schools. Wow. Can, can I put this in layman's terms too, and just say like, so this is almost like a, a menu that the schools then get to pick their order and maybe even say like, hold this or no, none of that, like on this and change it up a little bit. And then they pick out when, when that's going to be served essentially. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, exactly. What we do is we start off our annual consultation meetings and we say, what are your goals and priorities for 2022, 2023? And how can ESG7 support you in that? And, and we really start off with annual consultations by just listening. We let the school districts talk about everything that's important to them. And as they're talking, we are listening through the lens of our service plan saying, oh, we've got a service for that. Oh, we got a service for that. Oh, we have a service for that. And so they talk and then we we come back and have a, a conversation about it. But, you know, really they were, they were responsible for developing that service plan. So they have a, a pretty good idea of what's on it too. Yeah. Well, and I love that because it doesn't make sense to have more things on the menu than people are going to want served. Uh, I'm not going to let this metaphor go <laughs> but, or analogy go, but uh, I got to think too, then that that has to really be helpful to the school leaders who particularly in the last 18 months have so much on their plate that you all are able to help them organize their PD calendar. Uh, and that's got to be kind of one less thing where I would imagine, right? I, I know there's still an integral part of that, but, but to have support in that has to be really helpful to them. Well, it is. It's, it's helpful to them and to us because they know what their plan is. We know what their plan is. They know that they have us committed on those days. Um, but, you know, what we also have found as we've spent some time with our process is that we have those conversations in February and March, and sometimes things change. So, for example, a couple of years ago, we finished our annual consultation, and then there was a massive flood that happened in our ESU. And we had schools that were dissected <laughs> with people everywhere. And as they thought about what the following school year looked like, that changed a little bit for them. 2020, we finished our annual consultations. And then that's when the whole COVID pandemic broke out. There were changes in what needed to happen. And so what we do is we have that initial consultation with them in February, March. And then we reach back out to them again, the end of May, beginning of June and say, oh, so it looks like your principal has left and he was going to be a key player in this initiative you're going to roll out. Let's talk about that. Or here's some things that have happened. Let's talk about how we can take our, your service plan and see if it still fits your needs. And if maybe some of the things that you had initially thought about have, have changed a bit, but I will say for the most part, that our service planning process we do in February and March, it stands. There's a few tweaks here and there, pandemic with some tweaks. We added a lot more Zoom sessions <laughs> and how to teach on Zoom, um, but it's really been a, a really great process for us. We're pretty proud of it. Wow. And I'd be remiss not to point out too, just how much this has to financially save districts for not having to hire out independent uh, consultants for these various topics uh, and instead to sort of build that capacity within the service agency to then go and deliver those trainings at a more fiscally responsible approach, right? I mean, that has to be a part of this. Well, yes, you're right. And we talk about simple as this model and this process we use, but there's also an online tool for simple. There's a, a portion of it that's public facing. Most are things that we do internally with it. It's, it's the L in simple is log. 
when we go out to a district, we log the type of service we do, the number of participants we have, um, the duration of that, and we add some notes as well. And through that, we are able to generate numbers as far as how many hours we as professional development coordinators have spent in schools, and we can attach dollars to that, some dollars saved that a school did not have to spend on outside PD because they have us, and instead they can use that money for something else. Gosh, and yeah, if you're interested, check out S-I-M-P-L, so no E on there, S-I-M-P-L.esucc.org for information on dollar saved services provided. I love how, like you said, user-friendly and public-facing that uh, information is. Uh, really quickly here, as we this goes so fast with these shortened conversations, uh, I do want to end kind of by doubling back to, to focus in on our staff developers in the midst of all that. And in the previous conversation, Kellen and I both talked a little bit about just how impressive our staff development affiliate is with regards to the level of expertise, because they're constantly learning and having to step into these latest conversations that their districts are asking for. And so maybe just a, a brief moment to kind of end on a note that speaks to that a little bit. Yeah, I would say one of the greatest perks of working at an ESU as a professional development, I'm the professional development director, but one of the greatest perks is the ability to be professionally developed yourself. And, you know, when I was looking at switching positions, I was a classroom teacher. I loved teaching and this position came open and I was, I was conflicted. And I had a, a mentor of mine reach out and to say to me, this is an opportunity you don't want to pass up. You have the ability through what you do to impact 1,200 teachers. You have the ability to, to impact with what you do 12,000 students. And we as professional developers just have this ability to be able to collaborate with incredible colleagues from across the state as well as I will say that my ESU 17, there's seven of us in our department and it is rich discussion. We learn, we push each other. We really try to say, what are the things that we need to know and develop within ourselves to be able to serve our schools? And it's an incredible opportunity. And I, I'm just pretty, I'm pretty fortunate. Well, I think the whole of Nebraska education is pretty fortunate for people that are in roles like yours and the staff developers statewide for the supports that they're providing. And so, Marcy, as always, thank you for your time, for your effort, for your advocacy uh, and leadership. And uh, just always grateful to talk to you, friend. Absolutely. Anytime, Andrew. We'll see you. Yeah. And uh, stay tuned for part three coming up here as we get a little bit more on a day in the life of our staff development affiliate. All right, and excited to kick off part three of today's podcast as we are going to be visiting with Allison Smith of ESU 16, where she's a teaching and learning director there. Uh, and we're just going to go on a little bit of a deeper dive. We had a chance earlier to talk to Kellen Conroy and talk to Marcy Osmeyer, and uh, those conversations really set up hey, what is the staff development affiliate? And also a little bit about how the simple process can inform that. Uh, and the conversation that we'll have with Allison is going to really be focused in on what does it look like for our SDA members across the state as they're supporting the districts that they serve. And so Allison, thank you so much for taking some time to visit with us. Thanks, Andrew. I'm super excited and super honored that you asked me. 
Uh, well, you're a rock star, and I know that you wear a lot of hats at ESU 16. And uh, do you want to kind of, I guess, start things off uh, by talking a little bit about, uh, you had a chance to listen to Marcy's segment, maybe build upon what she had to share. Yeah, I would love to. So in thinking in terms of how we support our districts at ESU 16, keeping in mind we serve 16 school districts, 12,000 square miles, two different time zones. So super rural. Yeah, we always have to balance the need of how do we determine the, the support that we provide for our district. So in thinking about what Marcy was alluding to, we come alongside district admin and we look at different forms of data to determine what are your priorities. Because we know that if we have 16 school districts all saying they need something different, that's going to be a, a concern or a challenge for us to be able to provide high quality professional learning, right? So based off of that, we look at what does your data say and reflect? Really, what is your focus and goal of the district? And then how can we support that vision? So exactly what Marcy said we serve our districts. And when I think about serving and what that truly means, the noun is the action of helping, helping someone do something. And the verb is performing a routine maintenance or repair work on something. So when I think about truly servicing and serving our districts, it is coming alongside them and truly what their need is. So using that data to really prioritize what is it that they need. I love that perspective. And as a former English teacher too, love that you like get into the nuances of the word service and that that can look subtly different and definitely different as it pertains to each of the 16 different districts that you serve. So, so where do we go from there, I guess, in terms of kind of conceptualizing the role that you step into on a daily basis? Yeah. So when I think about how we support the districts, right? So it's this mind shift of not our expertise in here district, this is what we can provide you. It's like this flip of your data says this, here is some professional learning opportunities that we see could make a shift or a movement in student learning and student achievement. So we, as a professional learning community, right? We think about what is our vision and focus. Districts have identified five to six priorities. So we think of this annually or we really reflect on the needs or these priorities annually. And our five to six priorities are really curriculum development, assessment, high quality instructional materials, content pedagogy, really the training around that, that supports those high quality instructional materials. And then of course, you couldn't really move anything or you have to start with mental health. So they recognize that that is a high priority and a high need that professional learning can provide for them. So based off of that, when I think about, so that's the how, right? Our vision and our focus is around what their priorities are. Alongside those priorities, we think about our role of NDE initiatives that have come across the state as well. That's an integral part of our work to be the messenger and to carry out those pieces. And so can we organically embed those in when districts have said, hey, curriculum development is the need. So what does that look like from an NDE initiative coming alongside that and kind of weaving in when they say MTSS is a piece or a part that we need to focus in on? What does that look like for each district based on their priorities as well? So combining district priorities data would show, right? Like the, how we support that. And then the NDE initiatives as well, how we support that in the districts too. Well, as you talk about that there, you get to the element of explaining whenever anyone asks ESU, what, like, what are you talking about? You're like, well, we're kind of an intermediary between the state and the districts and people go, I don't really understand. How does that work? And there is a certain degree of, I don't know if ideation is the word I want to use that like goes into this, right? That's my Gallup strength that I like reference sometimes, yeah. but, but I see it in so many people in the service agencies in that 
you have to be able to do exactly what you're talking about. Listen, let the districts identify what they want, but then at the same time, be constantly synthesizing that with what you know to be the expectation from the department and finding places where those things align, right? Is what I'm hearing and, and across five or six different fronts. Right, exactly. Because I mean, the last thing we want to do is make it feel like it's more added to their plate, right? We need mm -hmm. to be sure that we're identifying this is the right work and this is what it looks like. And this is how we can come alongside and support you to make a shift in your district. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, maybe in 16 different ways. <laughs> like literally Absolutely. in your area. 100%. <laughs> yep, for sure. Uh, and so let's just kind of think like down to the structure of a day for you, for example, uh, where at nine o'clock, maybe you're in one district talking about one of these five to six priorities, let's say, you know, teacher self-care and wellness. Uh, and then later in the day, you shift to an entirely different topic. I mean, how, what does that look like? Absolutely. Thanks, Andrew. So when I think about what my day looks like, this is the perk of the job too, just like education, every day is a new day, right? Yeah. So so what I love about this work too, is when I enter into one building, I know that here's the focus and priority for today. So I might start my day at seven o'clock in the morning to get to an early, like a, or a, a late start, excuse me. And I'm speaking to basically the MTSS process, right. And how that fits into the work that is happening in the district. So that might happen for 45 minutes to an hour. Then what I love about this job too, and what I know about high quality professional learning is it's job embedded, it's focused and it has a goal and it's coming alongside teachers with this ongoing piece. So this notion of coaching, that's been a really big focus of our teaching and learning team that we know you can come and sit and get isn't ideal, but there's a place for this, this coherence across your district. So we talk about what does MTSS look like or how are we thinking about curriculum development in our work? And then going alongside and coaching teachers and saying, now, what does this mean? How can I make this applicable for your classroom in just in time and just in the right moment type of professional learning? So once I present to a district, it's usually a follow-up coaching within either that day, that week, even in a weekly or bi-weekly type of, of coaching experience. And then I could flip to another time zone, to another district in the same day and do some leadership coaching, right? So then it's talking to leaders, which it has been a huge focus and passion of mine as well, because I know districts are only as good as their leader, right? So thinking about how we take leaders and help take their priorities of curriculum development and set a vision and goal of that. So then even from there, I could shift to another district and do an early out, right? And then attend several meetings afterwards. So a typical day could start at seven and could get me home if I'm in a mountain time zone about six o'clock at night. Now that's not every day, right? But that's the nuance of we have those priorities, but it's thinking about how to embed those throughout the day. That's going to be most effective for our districts as well. Gosh, and as you're talking through that, I just, I can't help but think about the depths to which relationships certainly matter uh, and are a part of that work day too. And, and everything from like you're talking about maybe a larger group setting uh, all the way down to that individual work, whether it's with school leaders or teachers. Absolutely. And just like we know, you can't really come alongside or partner with somebody until they trust, respect, and you really have that relationship piece. So that is like our non-negotiable number one, right? Yeah. <laughs> of truly understanding where are you at how can I really service you with these visions and this, and this priority? How does that feel being in that role with your work, I guess, and being able to interact with so many different educators across such a large area? 
it is the most fulfilling job that I have ever experienced, knowing that when I was in the classroom teacher, I knew I was making an impact with kiddos. And I absolutely love that. It wasn't that I didn't want to be in the classroom anymore. It was that I wanted more and I wanted to make a bigger impact. So when I think about 16 school districts that I get the opportunity to work with, it's so rewarding. And it's, I'm not going to lie, challenging at times when it's, hey, you know what, this isn't working. How can I come alongside you and make a bigger difference for you and your work and your students? That's the piece that I'm here for. That's the piece that keeps me going every day. Wow. And I know that you definitely stay busy with that, <laughs> as does Marcy and everyone that we've talked to in this podcast and across the ECU network. So there's just a, there's a lot of folks to help out. And we're all, as you're sharing, they're really passionate about stepping into those spaces where we can help and doing that consistently. And just love that. And I, I would say, what am I not asking here in this time? Or what more would you like to share with us about the staff development affiliate and, and the work that you're getting a chance to do? Well, I would say for sure one is the piece that I don't think educators get in the classroom is this sense of staff development affiliate that we get to come together and we get to learn from each other and we get to take that work that everybody has been doing and it's like working smarter, not harder. But we have this huge bank. I like to just think of them almost like old school encyclopedia, right? Like who is it that I can reach out to that would know about assessment? And there's always somebody to lean on or always somebody that has that expertise to support you. So that's the first thing. The second thing is when I think about what could that look like for our teachers, many of our rural school districts are singletons, meaning the only one that teaches science, the only one that I'm the only first grade teacher. So what we've done at ESU 16, and I'm sure has uh, across the state is, is similar as well, is something called a regional professional learning community, where three times over a course of the year, we have 13 school districts that get to come together and really work alongside each other. So we have a group of first grader teachers all working together. We have our science teachers working together. We have our ag teachers working together. And we've provided breakout opportunities for them. But not only that, it's the piece of I get to sit alongside my colleagues and say, what's working for kids and what's not? And what resources do you have that would help me when there are challenging times, right? So that is a super exciting, something we've started in the last, I think this is going on year four, which is crazy to say that teachers have really seen the benefit of working alongside each other because we are better together. And both from a professional development standpoint in terms of continuing to grow in our work, but uh, as you mentioned there too, and in that just feeling supported and understood and the mental like health and wellness piece of uh, mm -hmm. being able to have people who can empathize, not just with your role as a teacher, but specifically by grade level and some of the like content specific challenges that can come up, right? For sure. For sure. And I would have to say, just to add on to that, during COVID, those PLC groups were invaluable. I mean, it was like the best thing for the teachers. They came on Zoom and they worked together. And just to even have that sense of like, oh, you're doing that too. You feel that way too, right? Like it is, it's, mm -hmm. it's phenomenal. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll follow that up even a little bit more and say for when students were learning at home remotely, for example, and if you're a math teacher, your challenges with them copying or, or asking Alexa questions, it was really different than an English teacher who maybe is focused more on journaling or finishing an essay. And so I do think there are content area specific challenges that teachers can benefit from people who are in that same job-alike role. Uh, and so that's really, uh, that's cool to hear. And so I'm going to ask this question too. 
four years then that these teams have been together, I mean, the strength of those relationships over the course of time has to only be gaining momentum, I would assume. For sure, for sure. And we have um, just even kind of dovetail off of that as well. We even have curriculum like groups as well. So when I think about that work for the whole entire day for three days, I recognize it's very minimal, but we've also taken the top priorities that the districts have identified and embedded that during that day as well. So not only is it that time to really focus on their content with each group, We've also been able to say, hey, here's some mental wellness. Like our last focus was mental wellness breakouts. So we had over, I want to say 30 different breakouts that they got to choose from. Then they got to work with their PLC group, their content specific or grade level group. And then they also got to work with curriculum specific groups. So if they all are teaching the same type of textbooks, they got to come together and say what's working, what's not in that as well. And then additionally, follow up with their districts and share out what did you learn? How are you applying this? What else can we do for you? It's super cool. Oh, I got a chance to zoom in and chat with the business group uh, at one point in time when they were meeting, right? Was that the same initiative now that I'm thinking about this while we're talking about it? Completely that. And we've had, that's another perk. We've had many Nebraska Department of Ed specialists come in, yourself, super great um, feedback on that. We had a mental wellness piece. We had some yoga instructors, just a fascinating group of getting community and statewide partners to come in. Uh, and it is incredible. The people who are out there who have passions in different areas and their willingness to share. And as you mentioned earlier, just kind of the whole conversation there just came full circle, right? You kind of go back to like leveraging uh, what we're able to outside of our area it's for the betterment of those within, I think sometimes or fairly consistently. And the other thought I had too, as you were sharing there was, Wow, you all have to be so knowledgeable about everything from the individual teacher's professional goals uh, all the way up through what the department's doing. And to really be the best connector that you can, you have to be versed in so many different topics. It, that is so true. And that's also what is really great about this position is that we are truly lifelong learners and we always love to engage in professional development that sometimes teachers don't have the time for because they're hyper-focused in their classroom where it's where they should be. So that's what I feel like is something that we love to bring to the table as well of just the experience with not only SDA, but nationwide, what we get to attend or listen into and provide opportunities for our teachers to glean from what we have learned as well. So, but you're correct. I don't, I still don't think that would happen though, Andrew, unless we didn't have relationships, right? Like we can go up and say, you know, whatever. And it, I could tell you, we always have room to grow, but it just really comes down to coming alongside them and partnering with them and truly saying what's working, what's not. And you know what, if I don't know, I bet you, I can connect you with someone who does know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to share out about the work that you're getting a chance to do. That's really the focus of this entire podcast series is to say there are so many services that the ESU is stepping up and into to provide for districts. Uh, And I'm not sure we always necessarily understand the full breadth of that or how, while we might have similar efforts, our mission is to respond to those specific teachers, those specific schools, those specific district and within your, re- I mean, there is certainly a lot of, I don't know if you want to call it local control, but local service uh, that really drives what's going on. It's awesome to learn about that. Yeah, it, it is. And it's again, super blessed to be able to be in that position where we get to offer that and, and so thankful for the partnerships across the state and what the ESUs are doing. Super blessed to have you, Kellen, Marcy, and everybody uh, within the ESU network, our colleagues, uh, to continue to grow with and learn from. So thanks for taking some time today. And uh, I will say, as we kind of bring this to a close, we'll have one more of this ESU 
impact series uh, that'll go out next week, looking specifically into special needs and, and some of the services we provide there. So thanks everybody for listening in and hope we get to learn a little bit more about the Staff Development Affiliate. Thanks, Allison. Hope we get a chance to visit with you again soon. Thanks, Andrew.